Welcome to the Swim Swam Breakdown. As always, I'm your host, Coleman Hodges, coming to you from Austin, Texas. Today, we are joined by Swim Swam Editor-in-Chief Braden Keith from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Senior International Reporter Loretta Race from Kentucky. Loretta, you leave the country for two weeks, and your <laughs> Bengals are once again the Bungles. <laughs> it's like the Super Bowl slump, you know? We just need a couple of weeks to get back in big year, and then we're all good, so... Yeah. <laughs> Nine and eight. Here we come. <laughs> oh, man. He's All still right. Joe cool. <laughs> we are starting our show today with another wildcat. The LSU Tigers uh, made some noise this past weekend. Maggie McNeil threw down a 22-2 50 fly split. Uh, she had a lot of other impressive swims just showing that uh, she is still the Maggie McNeil we've all come to know and awe at. I'm curious how much you think Maggie can impact LSU by just having this one year left of eligibility. I think she can impact LSU in a big way. Um, and it's not just what she's going to score this year. I think Rick Bishop is is fighting the notion that, um, you know, some combination of him and Mike Bottom created – Maggie McNeil and Shabon Hai and all of the other female stars, especially that they had at um, Michigan and that, you know, Brooks Curry came to Rick Bishop the way he was. I think this is Rick Bishop's chance to prove that he was the driving force be behind Maggie McNeil. Um, and I think if he can do that, it's going to pay off in recruiting for a very, very long time into the future. For me, I was just looking more short term um, and kind of looking at the medley relay as an example. Okay, if Maggie McNeil was able to split 22-2 in the fly, you know, where would that put them at, like SECs, for example? And I mean, they finished, I think, what was it, like second to last in the medley relay. So it's going to take more than just a phenomenal fly split. It's, you know what I mean? It, she may be, like you're saying, the catalyst and Rick Bishop and their whole brain trust might be the catalyst for future, but I don't think it's going to be as big of an impact as you're thinking just for this year alone. I'm looking at scores from last year's NCAAs and LSU was 32nd with eight points. Uh, <laughs> it took 44 and a half points to get 20th and it took 127 points to get 10th. Um, obviously lot, lots of places in between there, but I mean, I certainly see them finishing higher than 20th because Maggie McNeil can score 44 and a half points on her own. Uh, and you would think that they'll at least, that they could at least have a relay score or maybe another individual score somewhere so, in there as well. So let me ask you this, which would be more significant for LSU this year, finishing top 20 at NCAAs or finishing the, in the top half of the SEC, which is also possible. They were 84 points behind sixth place, Texas A&M last year. Um, Probably not going to catch Florida, but they could jump over Auburn and AM and be in the top half of the SEC. I, I mean, I, for me, it's like baby steps. I mean, take take that as, you know, a huge building block for the future. So I think the SEC is kind of more of a, a an impactful milestone. Yeah, I would agree. I, I agree. Yeah. Although at the same time, I don't think Maggie McNeil went to LSU to taper for SECs. So I, I do expect them to, I, I expect her focus me to be NCAAs, but that doesn't mean everybody's has to be. Mm -hmm. and I, I agree with that. And I think we've seen before, like Maggie McNeil does not need to taper to swim fast. You know, she can have 
foot her focus meet B in C's and still swim hecka fast at SECs. <laughs> and I think which will be ultimately the bigger deal for LSU and especially for Rick building that program. Another SEC school, Florida has has a big time name coming in on the men's side, Josh Leendo. I got to talk to him last week about this whirlwind decision for him and what he's kind of looking forward to during this college season. I asked him about those legendary Caleb Dressel records, which he does have his eye on and said that's kind of the standard now that he sees them every day and he wants to achieve them. So let's just have the conversation. Which of Caleb Dressel's three NCAA records, 50 free, 100 free, 100 fly, do you think is the most untouchable? So let's set up the records. In the 50 free, he's been 1763. In the 100 free, he's been 3990. And in the 100 fly, he's been 4280. As much as I wanted to interject his uh, breaststroke and IM races into this, I was told I was not allowed to. Um, no. <clears throat> I, to me, the 50 free is still the one that sort of boggles me the most. And it's the one that nobody is really like knocking on the door of. Um, I think the 100 free and the 100 fly are touchable. I think there's probably been somebody else who can go 4280 and the 100 fly in Europe that just swam in short course meters. What's the European record in the 100 fly in short course meters? Sure. If Jenny Karadishkin, 4848 in a suit in 2009, I remember that. That was like one of the first swim meets I ever covered. Um, so I don't know. I, I, it's, you know, we, I think we always underestimate 50 records because being a 10th away from a 50 freestyle record, you might as well be a second away. But um, to me, that 50 free still feels stupid. I, I, yeah. I, I think Leando is capable of getting under 40 seconds in the 100 free. Um, and I think he's capable of getting under 43 seconds in the 100 fly. So 1763, that's tough. And we have to remember the Dressel, um, you know, by his own standard, was always better early in the meet than late in the meet. Um, that that was true almost every year for him in NCAA's. It was more obvious some years than other years. But um, I think I think if the hundred free was day two of NCAA's, Dressel himself could have been thirty nine six or thirty nine seven. Um, so that's part of why I think maybe that one's a little more touchable. Yeah, I was looking at Leando's best long course meters times and then just converted them. So his 53 is 18.7 converted a short course yard. So that's, that's like a whole set. And, and I know conversions are, you know, you have to have some latitude with them, but that is like a full second away. And in the 53, yes, we haven't seen him perform short course yards. So, you know, we'll have to see the story unfold, but I mean, that's a full second in a 50 yard free, which is like kind of insane. Yeah. Whereas his hundred free converted is 41.39 to 39.90. So that, like, I'm agreeing with you, shockingly, that the 50 free is the more untouch untouchable one, and the 100 free is more kind of in the realm, even just at the outset, you know, of his career. Still so, 19. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, Florida exactly. really doing things with sprinters not named Caleb Dressel. It's not like he's a one-timer. <laughs> Uh, I do want to make it clear that we here at the Swim Swim Podcast will always stand athletes who publicize their goals. Um, so for all the people in the comments shaming him for publicizing his goals, you can go take a long walk off a short bridge um, because we stand that. 
And it's not like he was even like, this is what I want to achieve. He was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm shooting for him. So yeah. what else yeah. would his goals possibly be? Exactly. <laughs> right. The NCAA is a world championship medalist. What other goal makes sense for him? It, it, like winning an, an NCAA title over a guy that he beat at the world championships. Like that doesn't seem Brooks Curry. That doesn't seem like a big enough goal. Right. Right. Yeah, I would say if you're not aiming for NCAA goals, you know, or times, like, why wouldn't you be? I mean, that that should be, you know, <laughs> right. the ultimate prize. So all, kudos to him for putting it out there, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm i really torn between the 50 free and the 100 fly. I think Leando him, it himself is much more primed to break the 100 fly record than the 50 free. But I think that so many other people specialize in the 50 free that I could see someone dipping, you know, I could see someone going 17 this year. Um, I could see someone maybe, maybe breaking that in the next five years, whereas 42, eight puts on display, like Dressel's perfect, perfect mesh of, of underwater fast twitch fibers and endurance that I don't think as many people can match. Um, but I, to me, it's a toss-up between those two. I think Josh Leando could go 39 this year. Him going 40 points mid apparently. wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> but yeah, it's like I, I think that one's absolutely touchable, especially because Caleb seemed tired on the last day. <laughs> Which is funny because at his long course championship meets, he always gets better as the meet goes on. Whereas NCAAs, as Braden pointed out, that was kind of the opposite. They're more so, walls. <laughs> He gets tired uh, off the walls. <laughs> so many walls. <laughs> Seriously, too many walls. <clears throat> Shifting gears to Josh Leando's old coach, Ben Titley, uh, who's now the, I don't know his official title. He's the head coach of Spain. <clears throat> Signet Bro has made the move to Spain to train with Ben Titley. Uh, do you guys see Spain now with Ben Titley um, becoming somewhat of a hub like energy standard was obviously not funded in the same way, but uh, <laughs> do you think we're going to see more and more European athletes start coming to train with Ben? I'm, I'm curious what kind of arrangement he has set up with the, the place he's training, um, what their agreement was when he came in. I, you know, I don't think it would surprise anybody that Ben Titley wants to bring in sort of other athletes besides Spanish athletes to train. Um, I also have a hard time believing that Spain was going to shell out the resources to win him versus some of the other countries in the region that might be clamoring for him. You know, his wife is French, I believe. So I'm sure he had conversations in France, um, where in my mind, there's a few more resources. So maybe this is how they closed the gap. Um, unfortunately, Ben's sometimes a little too coy for his own good. And I don't know if he'll ever answer those questions for us. Um, I could see it a little bit. I, I don't think they're going to let him bring in eight, 10, 12 athletes. I think they're going to let him bring in maybe four to five. If most of them are from outside of Europe, like maybe he brings in a few Canadians. Um, I still think there's a chance that summer McIntosh ends up there. Um, but I don't, I don't think this is going to be energy standard because I just don't think that scenario makes a ton of sense for Spain. And I don't think they'd agree to that fully um, because they need to 
Spain has had a lot of talent um, in the last five or six years, and not a lot of it has sort of reached its peak potential. Um, so I think they they really want him. There's enough for him to do with the Spanish athletes that they're going to want him making sure he focuses on the Spanish athletes and figures out it, it's much the same situation Canada was in when he went there. Right. Um, they had lots of talent, but none of it was really getting over the hump. And he sort of put a structure in place. Anybody in Canada will tell you that, you know, his coaching was great, but what he really did was created sort of developmental pathways that made sense around the country. And that's why we saw this flood of uh, Canadians on in, onto international podiums. So I think he's, um, I think they need him to do that in Spain and not get too bogged down with 14 or 15 international swimmers. And for me, nothing against Signa Bro personally, but she's not like a huge talent that's going to start this like windfall of other athletes. I mean, maybe, like you said, maybe a four or five will kind of, you know, trickle in, but it's not like, you know, the Florida scenario or something where like all of a sudden we have this like top dogs and they're all kind of, you know, culminating in this one place. So we'll just kind of see what happens. But I think she herself said, I just wanted to start over and like, you know, kind of start fresh. So it might just be a one-off scenario where she herself just goes to Bentley, but I don't think it's going to kickstart this, you know, energy standard-esque type training environment. Well, the bigger question would be if Kylie Moss is there for good and she mm -hmm. won't answer our messages to tell us. Um, that was my question for you, Braden, because I, I didn't see a definitive response. So I didn't know if there was an update on that or not. No, we, we still don't know what her long-term plan is, um, mm -hmm. but just about everybody has left that Toronto training center. All the most of the big names, maybe other than Summer, have left Toronto. So uh, I keep hearing Summer is training in Florida. I think she posted a picture with uh, Emma Wyant's younger sister. Yeah, Sarasota but she back and forth to forth to Sarasota several times in the last few years, including when Ben was there. Um, mm. So we don't we don't really know much about that if that means what that means, anything. Well, the other question is also, obviously, Fred Vergno moved to Belgium, who was the former Spain, you know, head coach. So it'll be kind of interesting to see if any other foreign nationals kind of trickle over there, just to mm -hmm. kind of see if he can attract any talent or or if he kind of starts, you know, kind of a hub with, with that, because there's not like this huge Belgium, you know, hotbed of talent, you know, hopefully he'll develop it. But, you know, we may see some people kind of follow over there. We'll kind of keep our eye on that, too. And Belgium kind of makes more sense to me from that perspective in that Belgium doesn't have the population to support, um, you know, 20 Olympic finalists or even 10 Olympic finalists. Belgium has three or four talents roll through in a generation and they hope one mm -hmm. or two of them works out. And so, mm -hmm. sub, you know, supplementing that with foreign swimmers who can push those top domestic talents to me makes more sense than in Spain. Moving on to another European nation. Uh, is it time for the IOC to let Russian athletes compete again? Uh, the, they, they said that they were considering it. The IOC said that they were thinking about this. What do you guys think? So this apparently came from a phone call between the IOC president and the athletes committee and the athletes committee. We have to remember does their job is to represent both Ukrainian and Russian athletes. Um, just because of what's going on in Russia, they kind of don't lose their duty to the Russian athletes per se. 
Um, but no, to me, this it's not even time for the IOC to have this conversation in my mind, um, you know, with the, the news that's still coming out of Ukraine and some of the terrible, terrible atrocities that are being uncovered. It's, I, I don't think you can have this conversation until war crimes end. Um, and that, that sounds kind of blunt and trite, even as I say it, but like, to me, there's just the, the athletes, I said this in the comments and I know this is going to piss people off, but international athletes are weapons of war. They, they don't want to be, they don't necessarily know that that's what they signed up to be, but propaganda is part of war and international athletes are propaganda. Um, and I just don't think until, you know, we as a human race have decided that we allow war to happen. Um, to some degree, there's always war. There's always been war. Every country is at war. But at some point in the last century, we agreed to a set of rules by which these wars would take place. And, and most of the countries of the world, including Russia, agreed to those rules. Um, and I think at a minimum, you can't have this conversation until Russia starts following those rules at a bare minimum. I mean, I, I agree with you. Honestly, it seems like athletes participating is a little bit trivial in the grand scheme of things. So I don't think it is the appropriate time to have that conversation or make, you know, those ever impacting decisions. So I think it's, it's, it, it's not even up for discussion. <laughs> when you, when you hit pools with missiles, like what else can you say? Like, how can you say, oh, the athletes, the athletes, it's not their fault. Like, they're hitting pools with missiles. They're hitting sporting mm -hmm. facilities with weapons and bombs. Like I just, to me, that makes sports absolutely part of the conversation um, and, and part of the war. Like they're not, those things aren't happening on accident, right? It's, mm -hmm. it, it happened too many times for it to be an accident. And if Russia is attacking sporting infrastructure, that tells you everything you need to know about what Russia believes the importance of international sport is moving on to our next topic. Uh, we had this week, we had two reported uh, whereabouts failure suspensions with Isabel Gormley and Santo Condorelli, <laughs> uh, which brought up this question in the comments. Is it, is it fair or is it a fair standard to set um, for having an hour window for random drug testing every day of your life? Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I it's it's an interesting question. Um, and I definitely think it's fair to ask if there should be tiers, more tiers within the drug testing system. And there are some tiers in the US where some athletes just have to generally keep USADA apprised of where they're sleeping at night, whereas others have to, to give that hour window every day, all day, every day. Um, <laughs> I think this is something you sign up for when you're an elite athlete. Um Swimmers at Isabel Gormley's level are not actually being drug. It's not like they're actually being drug tested every day. Um, usually how that the reason the only reason she would be tested by USADA three times in a year um, at her level. She's a she's a good swimmer. She's an Olympic trials top 40 swimmer, but she's not on international teams. Um, and the only reason sorry, senior international teams, I should say, because I think she was on the world juniors team. The only reason she'd be tested three times in a year um is because she missed the first one 
and then missed a second one. And then they're obviously going to target that person for a third test. Um, and she would have, I, I would assume she would have had ample notice and ample warning after the first two, you know, to me, the reason this system is tenable is that you get those two freebies. Um, you get to miss two of your tests and you can update. There's an app that you can use. There's an, a system called Adams where P, the athletes can <clears throat> update their whereabouts basically as often as they want to. Um, I don't know if there's a, you know, you have to update at least an hour before the test or whatever the, the rule is, but like, it's not, it's not hard to do. Most of the athletes just do it during their regular practice time. It's not like they're, they're missing the party or whatever to do it. Um, so I, I guess I do see the point, but I think that randomized testing with the half-life, uh, especially of microdoses being so, um, small and, and as athletes are also asking for the standards to be reconsidered on some things with the accidental contamination where the, the doses are too small to really provide any tangible benefit benefit. If you're asking for that as well, I think you have to leave the potential of a random test with an hour's notice or a few minutes notice or whatever the timeline is, um, in place. Because otherwise, I think the system just breaks down and everybody starts doping up to their eyeballs anyway. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Let's not have that. Um, <laughs> I think I think what you said that they sign up for that, I mean, it's part of the process. It's part of being an elite athlete. And think of the hundreds of athletes that abide by that, no problem. It's only the random few here and there. If, if we saw a widespread problem where it was like, you know, just these huge challenged, you know, to update or to notify people, that'd be one thing, but like 99% of the athletes are able to do this, no problem. So I think these are just anomalies and it's just part of, of not abiding by what they need to abide by, but it's, it doesn't mean the whole thing has to be changed. I think there's something to be said that there seems to be an ongoing link between athletes who are having mental health problems and missing their whereabouts filings. Mm -hmm. um, so I could be in favor of Number one, giving them, giving athletes more um, support, maybe from their national federations and maintaining these things and yada, 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 helping them deal with their mental health problems before they miss three tests would be great too. Um, but, you know, there are, are, are options, whether the athletes know it or not, they can retire. Um, they can, <clears throat> if they're having mental health problems, they can temporarily retire and then they would just have to sit out 120 days before they went back in. And so if you're a, a college athlete like Isabel Gormley is, and you're saying, I can't do this drug testing thing, I can't do this hour whereabouts thing until I get my my head right, um, there's nothing that stops you from retiring. She doesn't need to swim another WADA umbrella meet for another four months, and she can retire for a few months, uh, you know, formally retire. Um, which doesn't stop her from training, doesn't stop her from competing in the NCAA, and then be back in time for winter nationals or or trials in the spring or whatever the next meet is. Um, like, do you think that's common knowledge? You know what I mean? Do you think that athletes know that? I, I, I don't know. How, I It's hard to say if it's common knowledge. My guess is that many of the athletes don't think of that because they okay. hear the word retire. Right. And, right. The R you know, word. We can't even get the athletes <laughs> yeah. who are retired to say that they're retired. Like, right. <laughs> so getting athletes who are not retired to sign paperwork saying they're retired might be a big ask. Um, but again, I, I think, I think more, you know, once, especially once you get the two missed tests, 
national team director or or support or USADA or USA Swimming, somebody ought to be on the phone with these athletes, helping them figure this out, come up with a plan right. to work it out. Their coaches, I don't know if the coaches are notified. Maybe the coaches don't know, but I would think the national governing bodies would know and um, could provide additional support. That's all the athletes keep asking for, right? More support, right. more support, more support. So maybe that's- are you? Are you certain that the governing bodies would be informed of a mistest? Because, no. I mean, obviously you don't want to assume that there's like statewide doping or anything like that. But do you think that they wouldn't inform the governing body because they wouldn't want it tampered with? Um, I I don't know. I Let's ask. We'll ask. I'll ask somebody when we get off the podcast. Um, I don't know if they'll answer us, but why not? To me the athlete can tell the governing body just as easily as USADA can tell the governing body, right? Like there's nothing shopping sure. Isabel Gormley from calling USA Swimming and saying, <laughs> hey, I've missed two tests. So so not telling USA Swimming seems like it would be kind of, it wouldn't achieve a whole lot. And so if they're mm -hmm. not, maybe they should be. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Well, that's our news for the week. And now it's time for our favorite game on the, on the Swim Swim Breakdown, <laughs> Sink or Swim. First up today on Sink or Swim, Rowdy Gaines sat down on NBC and talked about his favorite topic and athlete, Caleb Dressel. Uh, he said, which I've heard so many different versions of this claim, but Rowdy's theory was that it takes half a day for every day taken out of the pool to get back in shape. Do you sink or swim the Rowdy Gaines theory? sink because i was raised on it takes three days for every one day um because that's the lie that the coaches needed to tell us to make sure that we showed up to practice every day <laughs> nobody knows the answer to this and it's there's so many variables who you are what kind of training you're doing what kind of events you're swimming um what you're doing in the off season you know if if caleb takes four months out of the water and he's throwing bales of hay for four months, it's not going to take him as long as if he's just driving his tractor around for four months. Um, so I'm sinking it. It's fine. I, yeah, I don't know. I think if Caleb's <laughs> out until December, unless he's like hitting the weight room hard or something along those lines, um, I think he, I think he could be in a little bit of trouble because we don't know when trials are yet next year, but it's early, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, it's it's late June, like oh, it's last late week June. of June. Yeah. So if it's yeah. late June, I was thinking they were doing another early meet in Fukuoka. But um, if it's late June, I think that's plenty of time for him to get on the team. I don't know if he's going to win everything at Worlds, but I think that's enough time for him. I'm thinking it too, because I don't think there's any tried and true formula or method. I think it... Totally, like you said, Brayden, depends on what you're doing out of the water. Like, are you just on the couch eating Twinkies? Or are you actually running? Or are you doing weights? Or, and again, the events that you're doing, because who was it? Ed Moses, like, practiced twice in four years and, like, went to Olympic trials. You know what I mean? There's, so there's all these you breaststrokers. Know, like, <laughs> yeah, we're talking real swimming, Loretta. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> anyway, I don't think there's any, you know, proven method uh, to, to the days other than, you know, just saying it's a half day for one person, two days for another person, who knows? So I'm sinking it. Yeah, I got to sink that one, Rowdy. I just, <laughs> I just can't. 
half a day for every one day. I mean, I don't know. Maybe for the savants like Rowdy and Caleb, who just have immaculate feel for the water and can and are the peak of the peak of athletes. Maybe it's maybe that's the ratio, but uh, I think generally that. So I haven't done a legit swim workout in nine years. So that means it would take me four and a half years to get back in shape. (laughs) I can buy that. But but we're still talking your shape and not like. Well, right. And I I will only at that point be 13 and a half years older than I was nine years ago. So I think that math definitely checks out. (laughs) Next up, uh, Peter Paulus earned a spot on Texas's roster after a really cool comeback story. Uh, which which we wrote about earlier this week on Swim Swam. He was uh, col- national college club champion in multiple events. He had a really great meet there uh, where he's, he swam for Colorado Boulder. Now he's on Texas's roster. He was, a, he was a former teammate of David Johnston. He trained with him this summer. Now he's in Austin at UT. Uh, notably, he split 21-3 in the 50 fly at those college club championships i'm curious if you think that paulus will ever be on an ncaa relay for texas i'm gonna swim it um because he was only out of the water for six months so it should only take (laughs) three months to get back to where he was um how many guys can say that they went a lifetime best at the collegiate club championships maybe more than i'm giving credit for i think that's super cool 20.19 is really fast for the collegiate club meet, um, which is mostly sort of hobbyist trainers that are um, mixing their training with heavy drinking, uh, if I recall anything about collegiate club sports. And, and <laughs> again, people who are going to hear from collegiate club swimmers, they are the angriest group of swimmers on the face of planet Earth. Um, I think I think he will. You know, it's, it's clear to me he's a good athlete. He went 23-7 in long course over the summer, which is a pretty legit time. Um, I, you know, I think athletes are going to athlete and I don't know if he'll make a 400 free relay. I think Texas is going to be a little thinner going forward. I don't think it's going to be the same thing where they qualify 23 or 24 athletes to NCAAs every year. I'm not sure that trend is going to continue. So they'll have some room on their team, on their NCAA team for a guy who's going to swim two relays. Um, and I think he will, I'm going to swim it. I'm swimming it also because one of his quotes to his uh, then teammate David Johnston was, I want to be a college swimmer. So his head's in the game and I feel like he's fully committed. So I don't think he's just dabbling. Obviously, if he's going to Texas, he's not just dabbling. So I do think that he and you said ever in his collegiate career. So it's not like tomorrow, you know, you're saying in his collegiate career. So, yes, I am swimming it for him. Speaking of tomorrow. Uh, when the, uh, the day this premieres tomorrow, I will be going to the orange and white inner squad at Texas. So we will see Peter Paulus in full effect, <laughs> maybe on a relay. Awesome. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm swimming. Year, I mean, it could be this year though, right? Like it could be this year, year where there's a room on a Texas sprint relay. Um, yeah, I'm going to swim it just because we've seen guys like Paulus go to Texas and just make huge gains. Right. I mean, that's like almost Eddie's specialty, especially in butterfly. Right. If, I if, mean, if he's a 19, six 
flat start this year, which is half a second going from collegiate club training. Colorado has probably one of the best collegiate club programs in the country. Um, but going from that to Texas, it, you know, half a second, I don't think is unreasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he's a 19-6 flat start this year, that might be good enough for a Texas 200 free relay. Could be. And I mean, they need a 50 flyer yeah. for their medley. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I definitely think he has that potential in his career, let alone this year. <clears throat> Next up, uh, world junior open water championships happened. Uh, Sam Piper's Claire Weinstein and Katie Grimes both won individual titles at that meet in Seychelles, Africa, um, which kind of made me think or wonder if if more club teams should be looking at open water opportunities, given the pool success that we've seen Grimes and Weinstein both have, especially Claire Weinstein, 200 freestyler, 156. And we see her pop a 5K open water title like this. Um, to Sandpipers is a unique scenario, as we all know, and they've got a lot of magic going. To me, this says as much about open water swimming being underdeveloped around the world as anything. Um, I, I think open water swimming is a long way away from its peak. So if we use it as as training okay fine i'm sure there's a about half the coaches in the country that love the idea of making their athletes swim 10ks to train for a 200 yard race which sounds like a dig but is not because it's just the way we train in swimming um i i think these are two special athletes for whom this worked i don't know that um i don't know that this can necessarily be applied to everybody around the world yeah, I'm thinking it for um, it being like a movement, you know, of of open water, like being paired and be in parallel with with pool swimming. We've seen like Hector Pardo from Great Britain. We've seen Peltrinieri and Deddy, you know, obviously do open water and pool swimming. So it definitely worked. Mariah Denigan from Indiana, you know, does open water. So we definitely see it. What? Florian Welbrock, of course. Yeah. So we definitely see it carry over and there's benefits both to their pool, you know, racing and then their open water racing. But I don't see it being like the kickstart of like a training movement where it's going to be integrated into like their whole periodization, you know, of, of how the season is going to roll out for them. I'm going to swim it mostly just <laughs> because. <your> <laughs> Mostly right, Colin, just... We're going to start sending you to more open water meets. Have fun with that. Yes. <laughs> Stand and stare um, off into the ocean for an hour and a half. <laughs> well, if they're ocean open water, sign me up. And that's, that's, that's my point. I'm not saying uh, swimming, like you should c- compete in open water frequently to get your meterage up. I think it's just a good thing to do outside of the pool. It's a good experience to have. It can be a good team bonding experience, whether it's in a pond or a lake or an ocean. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it can, it can help you think outside the box a little bit. I don't know. Maybe you okay. swim one and you're like, Oh, I like open water. Um, I think especially for younger swimmers, it could be something fun to try. Um, but yeah, maybe not okay. necessarily, uh, yeah. go into the training plan. Yeah. Last up on sink or swim, Kate Campbell, publicly announced she got in the pool i think it was her fourth time in a pool this year or her first time this year and her fourth time since tokyo yeah. 
that. She has not swam much <clears throat> since the 2020 Olympics. She has not swam, swum, swim much. Swim, swam. <clears throat> Kate Campbell not swim, swam in much. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, so with with her getting back in the water, just look into your crystal balls. Is Kate Campbell with Australia's loaded 400 free relay going to be on the finals 400 free relay in Paris? Okay, so I I'm gonna set this up, and I want Loretta to answer first because she's more in touch <laughs> with Australia. So last year at the Olympics, when they broke the world record, their foursome was Bronte Campbell, fifty three oh one, who mm-hmm. has not uh, made many signs of being back in the water. Uh, Meg Harris, fifty three oh nine. Emma McEwen, 51-35. Kate Campbell, 52-24. We know Molly O'Callaghan is going to be somewhere probably a 51, right? So that replaces... 52 low, low flat, whatever. So that replaces Bronte. Um, What did Meg Harris do this year? She was 53-0 on a split at the Olympics. She's got to be able to go 52-5, I have to believe. She she had a... was the one yeah she broke her arm yeah Uh, elbow i think or was it arm yeah which we've seen in a number of swimmers is not like a great long-term impediment so to me kate campbell's got to be able to go 52 four to make that relay i think they're going to crush the world record again in paris um so she's got to be able to go 52 four to make that relay i think that's plausible but i think she's towards Paris taking on more of sort of a mentor, big sister kind of a role. Um, and I, to me, that sets her up to swim a solid 52 high prelims leg, get them safely into the final and hand off to a younger swimmer. So I'm going to sink her on the finals. Relay. You said I was going to answer first. <laughs> oh, I okay. I take back my answer um, until I hear <laughs> his answer. No, I'm swimming it because Yes, I agree with you. She's in the me- the mentor, you know, in that kind of, um, not figurehead, but in that kind of space. But she is a killer. She's an athlete. She wants to go out on top. So I don't think she's going to settle just for a prelim swim. And, you know, Maddie Wilson, who has also been, you know, on some of these relays, she's going to be 32, I believe. And Kate Campbell is also going to be 32. So if we're throwing Maddie Wilson into the bits, we also have to talk about Kate Campbell, and I think Bronte is going to be out. Huh? I, think, I don't. I'm not throwing Maddie Wilson into the. I mix am. I relay. am. Well, not I for am. a finals relay. Well, okay. Bottom line, Kate Campbell. Yes, she'll be in the final. Okay. So uh, now that we've heard Loretta's opinion, I'm still thinking <laughs> it. Like, was Sick. she a killer before? And isn't her whole thing about like not being a killer now? Isn't that like what she says? Is that she's but that's what she said? She always says that before the Olympics. She's always like, <laughs> I'm finding my, you know, I'm finding my feeling with the water again. I want to be one with the water again. And then she gets into training mode. I mean, so you're not going to go to an Olympics and not going to want and not going to want to be in a final, especially like your last hurrah, like Michael Phelps' last race was a relay. Like her last race will be a relay and she'll want it to be in the final. No, I'm yeah, I'm sinking it. Uh, just looking at world champs in the foreigner free relay where they went 330.9, which is pedestrian for them, but <laughs> no one else in the world can do it. Uh, Maddie Wilson was 52.6, Meg Harris was yeah, 53.00, and Shayna Jack was 52.6. So 
I, I agree with Braden. I think Kate Campbell would have to go 52-4 to safely be on that finals relay. And I do not see that happening because that is really fast. And yeah, I think and she's really in, fast. She is really fast. But in two two years gives her two more years of aging. And it gives all the youngsters two more years of aging. And I think she'll make the team. I think again. she'll break their arm, be a mint. <laughs> So I Red is swimming it. on the basis of three broken arms. <laughs> that should be the title of a movie. Swimming on the basis of three broken arms. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, that's our breakdown for the day. Tune in every week for your week's news and swimming to the Swim Swam Breakdown.